Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we learn about a loophole in state oil and gas regulations that's allowing the operators of some wells to skirt the rules. And we examine claims that a small oil and gas company on the western slope is among the top methane polluters in the country. We'll also get an overview of the budget proposal Governor Jared Polis released this week. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. Earlier this week, Governor Jared Polis unveiled his $40 billion budget proposal for next fiscal year, which begins on July 1st. The proposal calls for major investments in education, combating air pollution, as well as funding for efforts to address homelessness and the ongoing recovery from the coronavirus pandemic. For more details about what's on the governor's wish list, we're joined by our state capitol reporter, Scott Franz. Hey, Scott. Hey, Erin. Let's start with a broad overview, if we could. I know budgets are often considered a list of priorities for an administration. What are the governor's priorities as outlined in this proposal that he released on Monday? Well, he's got a lot of them. And I I think the highlight is just how much new spending there is on, on several items, whether it's combating climate change or trying to bring up government services back to where they were before the pandemic. You know, the budget has largely recovered. um, And so we're back to spending on lots of new items and priorities that had to get tabled um, when the budget had to get cut so much. Uh, It's also important to note that this is Polis's last budget before kicking off his re-election campaign. So we're seeing lots of items that perhaps Um, you know, are new because he's trying to address criticisms he might get during the campaign season. I think of things like addressing homelessness. Um, There's a lot more funding for police and public safety. Um, And these are some items that we've heard from Republicans um, that have criticized him for not spending enough on these kinds of efforts. So, you know, those are kind of the higher level highlights. Yeah, and I want to touch on a lot of those. Let's start Um, by digging into the pandemic recovery aspect of this, how would this budget help Colorado businesses and workers who may still be struggling? Right. Yeah. I mean, the budget still keeps hundreds of millions of dollars on pandemic recovery. Um, One of the items that really stuck out to me um, was $51 million in new spending, the governor says, will help businesses find new workers. I'm, I'm sure we've all seen in recent months the effect of the worker shortages, whether we're going to our favorite restaurant and, and can't get seated right away. Um, you know, it's impacted so many parts of daily life. Um, you know, so earlier this week, Polis was asked, you know, how this money would help solve this problem that's affecting so many Coloradans. Child care facilities is a big piece of that. So that's 30 million right there. Um, because that is a big barrier to workforce participation, and that um, will 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 create more childcare options for hardworking Coloradans, um, and remove existing barriers to uh, to freeing up additional participation in the workforce. There's also money in there for job training. He also wants the state to pay for family leave premiums and waive lots of fees that you normally have to pay when you do things like start a new business or renew your business license. 
And we know education has long been a priority for Governor Polis. I'm wondering if there's anything that stands out in this budget proposal for strengthening education. Yeah, I think, you know, the education budget was one of the hardest hit during the pandemic. It was, you know, because it takes up so much government funding, it was one of the first things they had to go to. And I think the highlight is the governor saying here that, you know, he's boosting per pupil funding, you know, to a level we haven't seen before. We also just saw, you know, with one of the three ballot measures, Proposition 119, um, fail. And that was trying to get more money for after school tutoring programs, um, trying to recover some of the learning loss during the pandemic. Um, so having education a priority here, I think, is a, um, very important for the governor. Well, let's talk about crime, too. As you mentioned, the governor is also earmarking millions of dollars for public safety. What does this look like? Yeah, this is another one of those topics that that Polis hasn't brought up very much in his previous budget proposals. Um, you know, he says he's noticed there have been um, some upticks in, in crime in places, um, that police need more support. Um, and, you know, it's also part of this ongoing effort to reform police departments. Here's Polis talking about, you know, what specifically all of this money to the tune of $113 million will do. The public safety package is a bold investment to reduce crime, ensure safer streets, build diversity of our public safety workforce, and provide support, training, and financial support for our hardworking police officers. It also helps get people the treatment they need by expanding and investing in community policing models, uh, co-response models, adding early intervention uh, programs, and data-driven programs that we know will reduce crime. Now, Polis also wants to spend about $200 million on addressing homelessness, uh, saying the issue has risen to the level of a state priority. How would that money be spent? Most of it would go directly into a new grant program um, that would be distributed to cities. So they could apply, they could kind of outline their programs that they think will reduce homelessness. Polis says, you know, what works in Denver may not work in a place like Glenwood Springs. So, you know, the thinking is um, to just start dedicating hundreds of millions of dollars to the issue from the state, which is something we haven't seen before. Um, but it's also something that we've seen, you know, in the most recent election, there were lots of ballot initiatives, including on the front range, you know, cities trying to address this issue and, and noting that, you know, the pandemic has really, um, you know, has really affected this issue and um, whether it's converting old hotels into more, um, you know, temporary housing for folks or, you know, other methods, this is just trying to, to get some money on those ideas. All right. Well, let's talk about how this proposed budget would address pollution with the COP26 conference going on in Glasgow. Climate change is very top of mind right now for people. And it, it feels like there are some interesting uh, ideas in this budget. Yeah, there are. You know, it was for, uh, $424 million line item, which is one of the, the biggest ones. Um, and I think this is definitely going to be one of the um, top issues in the upcoming um, campaign for governor. So, you know, some of the more interesting ideas in here, they include things like buying more electric buses, replacing those old uh, diesel fleets that school districts are still using in some places. There's also this new proposal um, to spend $28 million for free bus and train rides on those ozone action days where 
you, know, you can barely see the skyline of a, a front range city. Um, you know, we, we experienced lots of those this summer. So the idea is, um, you know, if cost is a barrier to ride public transit, the state wants to start subsidizing these trips, get more cars off the road and, and lessen the impact there. As we have mentioned, you know, this is a budget proposal, not a budget. Um, where does it go from here? Well, it goes into long debates and long nights at the state capitol starting in January. Uh, there's lots of, you know, ideas here. Um, but as we've seen in previous years, you know, there even though Democrats control, you know, the House, the Senate and the governor's office, they don't always agree on the best way to spend money. So, you know, I anticipate there will be some interesting discussions. You know, there might be some cases where, you know, there there might be Democrats who question whether he's spending enough um, to improve air quality. On the other hand, you know, there might be challenges from other lawmakers. So, um, yeah, the, the short answer is there's lots of debate and we'll be talking about this budget and where it goes probably until March in the spring. So you're stocking up on coffee now, I take it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely coffee. That's KUNC State Capitol reporter Scott Franz. Scott, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, my pleasure, Aaron. Thank you. up after a short break. A small oil and gas company operating on the Western Slope has been called out by environmentalists for being among the top four polluters of methane in the entire country. We'll hear an investigation into whether that's true in just a moment. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Methane is a powerful greenhouse gas that causes global warming, and it was front and center at this week's COP26 climate summit in Glasgow, Scotland. Closer to home, some of the largest emitters of methane in Colorado are oil and gas companies. Regulations to lower those emissions are on the books. But as KUNC's Ray Solomon reports, loopholes are allowing the operators of some marginal wells that release millions of tons of methane each year to skirt the rules. There's a battle being waged over Colorado's air quality. It's about how much methane is in the air and why it's even there. On one side are environmentalists like Andrew Logan. People like to assume or think that they're small wells owned by small companies. We should give them a break. But the data is pretty clear that they are a large and growing part of the problem. And we're not going to be able to address climate issues if we don't if we don't deal with them. Logan is the director of the oil and gas program at Ceres, a national nonprofit advocating for an environmentally sustainable economy. And he's talking about marginal wells or stripper wells. These are old, low-producing wells that are being stripped of their last reserves of natural gas. On the other side are companies like Texas-based Terra Energy Partners, or TEP, that operate these wells in Colorado. The federal greenhouse gas reporting program shows TEP releases millions of tons of methane annually. And if true, that would make the company one of the worst polluters of methane in the entire country. After declining an interview request, TEP told KUNC in an email that they, quote, significantly overstated their emissions last year and that the report is, quote, not reflective of Terra's actual operations. And this is where things start to get complicated. So buckle up for a story about dense regulations, 
aging equipment, opposing facts, and a regulatory system that relies on oil and gas companies to tell the state how much they are polluting and whether they're following the rules. In a lab at the Colorado School of Mines, students are running experiments in a network of pipes and valves mounted on the wall. It lets them see how different mixtures of oil, water, and gas behave inside of a pipeline. In the middle of it all, a green metal gadget. It's about the size of a steering wheel and looks kind of like a flying saucer. And it's this simple device that's at the center of the battle. If you went out to the oil field, you know, the, the operators would want to show you all around the whole thing from the wellhead to the, to the tank farm. And you're interested in the least important part to you from their perspective of the whole system. Jim Crompton used to work for Chevron Oil as a senior advisor for digital oil field projects. He retired after 37 years and is now teaching petroleum engineering. I'm uh, an industry guy at heart, although they're not paying me right now. He says that flying saucer-looking device is known as a pneumatic controller. It's, it's essentially how you power uh, a sensing measurement unit. And whether you're measuring pressure or temperature or flow rates, or you know various other things that you, the oil operator is interested in, they're they're just kind of uh, attachments onto the pipeline. Pneumatic controllers are powered by gas pressure. In this lab simulation, compressed air moves a piston at the base of the saucer up and down to open and close a valve. And every time it does that, a little puff of air escapes through a tiny vent. The puff that you heard is an exhaust, is uh, a product of, uh, of, of what, uh, what it is you're using. In the lab, it's air. So when pneumatic controllers are used in an actual setting. Of course, that is methane emissions. These controllers you know, are flicking on and off constantly. That's Andrew Forkus Goodmanson. He's the deputy director of Logic, which is the League of Oil and Gas Impacted Coloradans. The group advocates for the health and safety of those living near oil and gas operations. And every single time they flick on and off, it's a little poof of methane. He says the size of each poof might be insignificant, but they add up. I mean, there's a thousand of them. There's 50,000 of them. There's probably 250,000 of them. You know, so like it's just an absolute bucket load of methane in aggregate. And the state's Air Pollution Control Division told KUNC in an email that it does not track how many of those pneumatic controllers regularly emit methane. Oil and gas production is the largest industrial source of methane in the U.S. While the conversation about greenhouse gases often focuses on carbon dioxide, which is produced when fossil fuels are burned, things are changing. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, methane accounts for one-third of global warming from human causes. And we now know that pound for pound, methane's impact on warming dwarfs that of carbon dioxide, especially in the near term. Environmentalists say that the fastest way for Colorado to make a major dent in lowering greenhouse gases is by cracking down on sources of methane emissions, like pneumatic controllers. And they say the time to make cuts across the board is now. The World Meteorological Organization says greenhouse gas concentrations hit record highs in 2020. And it's why the last seven years are on track to be the warmest on record. From rising sea levels to an increase in extreme weather, climate change has global implications. 
in Colorado and the Mountain West, it means more extreme heat, more wildfires, and more drought. And the good news is that state regulators have started to take action. At the beginning of this year, Colorado's Air Quality Control Commission banned methane-emitting pneumatic controllers. But so far, the rule only applies to new oil and gas operations. Older wells don't have to be retrofitted until 2022 and 2023. But environmentalist Andrew Logan points out a loophole that exempts an entire class of facilities including stripper wells. Each individual well is is sort of toward the end of its life. Um, but yet through this quirk of regulation in, in Colorado and elsewhere too, um, it's cheaper to keep the well going than to shut it down. Um, in la- you know, as long as you're not forced to deal with uh, the pollution issues. Logan's group released a study last spring that pointed to marginal wells using pneumatic devices as a major source of methane emissions in the U.S. It was based on data from the federal government's 2019 greenhouse gas reporting program, and it identified Terra Energy Partners, which operates exclusively on Colorado's western slope, as one of the biggest sources of methane in the entire country. You know, you expect Exxon to be top of the list because they're so big, but you don't expect Terra Energy Partners to be as high as they are. According to the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, TEP has close to 5,400 producing wells in the state. More than two-thirds of them are stripper wells that may be exempt from retrofitting requirements. Their business model is sort of buying off assets that nobody else wants, right, from bankrupt companies or from companies looking to get out of assets. It's tough to get a complete picture of TEP's operations because the data is not all there, and the company declined KUNC's request for an interview. But here's what we do know. The company confirmed in an email that, by their own estimates, more than two-thirds of their methane emissions are generated by pneumatic devices. And documents filed with the state show that the overwhelming majority of TEP's production, nearly all of it, comes from facilities with methane-emitting pneumatic controllers. And that's key, because state regulations meet oil and gas producers where they're at. The more a company produces from polluting equipment, the more upgrades they have to make. A company like TEP that works almost entirely with polluting pneumatics has to make the most gains. By May of 2023, the company has to increase its share of clean production from essentially zero now up to 40%. And the company confirmed that they are planning to start retrofitting some of their facilities next year. KUNC obtained a copy of the plan that TEP submitted to the state last summer, outlining how they'll comply by 2023 but it shows upgrades at only a small handful of well sites, accounting for just 20% of the company's total production. And state regulations allow the company to say it's meeting the requirements without upgrading the vast majority of their pollution-causing equipment. It all comes down to a technicality. To understand what that's about, Let's go back to the Colorado School of Mines for a consult with petroleum engineer Jim Crompton. Natural gas is mostly made up of methane, but sometimes we'll have some higher hydrocarbon elements to it, which kind of gets into the idea of sometimes there's natural gas liquids that come from it. Those liquids get separated from the natural gas and are sold separately. 
but the state's rules use this liquids production number as a proxy for oil and gas production. So for the purposes of pneumatic device regulations, oil and gas production is liquids production. There's just one problem with that. Some wells are dry. So a dry gas well is only methane, and a wet gas well has some of these natural gas liquids. Um, If not, you just have methane. That's why, he says, liquids are not a good proxy. Some wells just don't produce them. And that's especially true in a natural gas basin like the Western Slope. You do have a, a percentage of the industry, not the big producers, but the smaller producers who may have lots of well count. They may have lots of wells that are old, older in their life cycle. They may have lots of wells that are just gas producers, like in the Western Slope or whatever. And that is a whole segment of the industry that doesn't seem to be in the scope of the current regulatory reform. Logic's Andrew Forkus Goodmanson says the state's definition of production completely ignores most of TEP's operations because they're mostly dry wells. It skews the production picture, making it look like TEP operates just a handful of wells, only the ones that produce liquids. It's possible that TEP just produces very dry gas and it doesn't have a ton of liquids associated with it. Plus they have a lot of facilities that are barely productive. And so it's possible that this little quirk of making the calculation based on liquids production plus TEP's specific liquids production rate allows them to what sort of seems like sneakily get into compliance with very, very little work. But TEP disagrees. In an email, they said their operations are too insignificant to warrant intense regulation, saying, quote, that the most effective way to reduce methane emissions from pneumatic devices is to prioritize high volume wells. They argue the wells that produce the most pollute the most. But recent research, including a study from the Environmental Defense Fund, shows low-producing wells emit as much as 10 times more methane as a fraction of gas production than high-volume wells, largely due to aging equipment, including pneumatic devices. As for those millions of tons of emissions reported by TEP that made them one of the top methane polluters in the country last year, TEP told KUNC that the emissions, tallied in 2019, were based on, quote, incorrect data, and that in 2020, they were able to report greatly reduced emissions, down by 60%, simply by correcting an error in their calculations. The EPA responded by flagging the company's 2020 emissions report for potential error. But that's not nearly enough for Andrew Kloster. It'd be really nice to take them at the word. It'd be really nice that if we could believe that, yeah, they really did have this 60% reduction and this was just a calculation error. Kloster is a Colorado field advocate with Earthworks, a group dedicated to fighting adverse impacts of energy and mineral development. He takes issue with the self-reported nature of the emissions data that state and federal regulators rely on. And he points out that these self-reported emissions are just estimates. They're not direct measurements. So none of this is based on actual monitoring. None of this is based on actual actual data. And that's where it does become it does become really squishy. And that that doesn't necessarily mean in any instance that they may be out of compliance, but it does mean that there's just a lot that may be missed. 
Terra Energy Partners confirmed with KUNC that they do not directly measure methane emissions at their well sites. And even if the company is correct about their emissions having been overstated, they would still be among the nation's top 10 emitters of methane in the oil and gas industry. Data from the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission show that there are over 26,000 low-producing wells in the state run by hundreds of oil and gas companies. And it's not clear how many of those are operating with this old methane-emitting technology. But as Jim Crompton points out, a definitive count might be beside the point. So the answer really is nobody really knows what it is. If it's changed or if it's bigger or if it's smaller or whatever it is, I mean, that we're kind of in a situation where if you don't measure it, you really can't control it. We reached out to the Air Pollution Control Division multiple times for comment on this story and asked if they believe Terra Energy Partners is in compliance with their regulations. They did not respond to our request. Coming up in December, the agency will hold another round of rulemaking for pneumatic controllers. Environmentalists who say methane must be reduced to avert climate disaster plan to be there. Ray Solomon, KUNC. This week, the Environmental Protection Agency released plans for new rules at the federal level to regulate methane emissions from oil and gas operations. It represents a big step for the U.S. towards meeting methane reduction commitments established at the COP26 conference in Glasgow. And for the first time, the federal government says it will regulate emission reductions from existing sources across the nation, including pneumatic controllers. This piece was co-edited by KUNC's investigative reporter, Michael DeOanna. That's our show for today. Next week on Colorado Edition, we'll bring you a snapshot of how one northern Colorado school district is coping with the current state of the coronavirus pandemic. I'm Erin O'Toole. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman, Tess Novotny, Alana Schreiber, and Ray Solomon. Brian Larson is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. KUNC.